Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Nick Kalikas. Today, we're going to be talking about UFC Columbus because Curtis Blades is taking on Chris Dacus in a heavyweight main event. Blades trying to secure that elusive UFC title shot, and Doc is trying to get right back into the win column. I have a feeling this fight's not going to go five rounds, Nick. I am with you. This is definitely a, a big test for Doc is to see if he could be long in the upper tier of the heavyweights. I mean, he flunked it last time out, but uh, this time if he could pass it, obviously he kind of redeems himself a little bit, but what a big test it is in front of him with Blades. And another homecoming for Matt Brown. I mean... I have a feeling you might have been in attendance when he fought Eric Silva a long time ago. I mean, I heard it, it was absolute ruckus when he fights in Columbus. Look, I've had the the pleasure and the privilege of seeing Matt Brown compete in my hometown, Atlanta, when he, when he gave Wonder Boy his first ever L, the Jake Ellenberger fight. So every single time he fights in my hometown, it's pandemonium. I can only imagine what it's like in Ohio. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously a fan favorite in Ohio. There's no doubt about it. Well-deserved. I mean, what he's accomplished throughout his career, I think the guy's been an overachiever, meaning that we didn't expect him to go on this amazing run towards the welterweight title. A lot of people probably forget he was an actual legit title contender at one point, one of the best welterweights in the world. So it's all always awesome to see a guy that brings it every time he steps in the cage like my, Matt Brown does, right? Every time. I mean, there's no doubt you're going to get a fight when he's in there. Yeah, I mean, his fight with Robbie Lawler was literally a title eliminator, a title eliminator, and that was one of the best fights of that year. So, I mean, this is a guy that, win, lose, or draw, will always be one of my favorite fighters, and it's a hell of a card. So, without further ado, Nick, let's get right down to business because right. first up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Luis Saldana. He's 15-7. and seven. He's taking on Bruno Souza, who is 10-2. and two. And currently, they got Luis Saldana minus 115. The comeback on Bruno Souza is minus 105. So it's a pick em with a slight lean on Saldana. This is actually one of the trickiest fights for me to call on the entire card, Nick. I mean, look, you got the elusive uh, point fighting karate style of Bruno Souza taking on kind of a longer, rangier volume guy in Luis Saldana. And I got a strong opinion on how they fight, but not on a pick itself. I want to hear you first. What do you think about this opening bout? Yeah, I think Pickham is about right here because it is a tricky fight. Both these guys prefer to stand and strike. It should be a fun striking battle, I think. I mean, both of them are to the point where in their careers where they can't take the fight to the ground if needed and, and have some success there as well. But more than likely, it's going to probably stay up on the feet. And if it does, it should be a fun one. And it could go back and forth. My question with Saldana is his cardio and conditioning because we see he's kind of a front runner. He starts off very strong, but then you get him in late round two, round three, he starts fading a little bit. And that's when Souza, I think, could kind of take over. So for me, I actually like Souza because of that. I think his durability is there, and I think he could probably win round two and three and squeak out a, a very close competitive decision, in my opinion. Nick, it's tough for me because with Luis Saldana, so his UFC debut and, and his subsequent appearance against Austin Lingo, I mean, the first five to seven minutes, this guy looks amazing. He actually looked yeah. the volume, the, the different combinations of his strikes, going to the body, going up top. Like, I like everything about him. And then you consider the fact he's training at fight ready. Like, I want to see that improved cardio that, that lasts the whole three-round duration. It's just such a shame that, look, on a UFC debut, you can blame the adrenaline dump. Okay, we can put that on the back burner. But when it happens two fights in a row, that's where I draw the line. But then with Bruno Souza on the other side, 
very, very good at that karate point fighting style. My issue with him is the output is so low. And here, what's interesting about this, the reason why I think Saldana might not gas out as badly is because unlike the Jordan Griffin fight and the Austin Lingo fight, those two guys like to go out there and make it a brawl, which is going to make Luis Saldana go on the back foot, which is going to make him exert a lot of energy. Whereas Bruno Souza kind of likes to sit back. You throw a kick, I throw a kick. It's kind of pretty. So this might actually be the spot where Saldana doesn't gas. And if that's the case, I think he might win. But I mean, based on the footage, he, I mean, based on the footage, he's been fading badly in those fights. I just think they might have been matchup dependent. So at the betting window, I want no part, but as a pure pick, I'm willing to give Luis Saldana one last chance, Nick. That's fair. Uh, and like you said, the, the pressure is definitely different in comparison to this fight than it was his previous couple fights, for sure, because you're right. I think Souza is going to be kind of on his back foot. He's going to be on his bicycle a little bit, looking to counter more so. So could be right, but I still think he's going to fade, man. Even if the pressure's not there, I, I don't know. I don't trust him as of yet, but we'll see. This is going to be a turning point for him if he can, kind of like you said, go the distance and perform well all three rounds. I mean, you'd want to see a guy with over 20 professional fights have that in order, considering where he's training at. I mean, you see what these guys that train at Fight Ready, like yeah. the kind of incremental improvements they've been making. I mean, Henry Cejudo was always a stud. Patric uh, Patricio Pipple was always a stud. These guys go to Fight Ready, they become double champs. So, man, it would be nice if that would trickle over to a guy like a Luis Saldana. Yeah, no doubt. These fighters that are training at Fight Ready right now, the camp is constantly growing, it seems. They're doing some really good things. That's one of the hottest camps in the game right now, for sure. So that's a good move. And we don't want to stay on this fight for too long, but one thing I wanted to point out, about nine years ago, Luis Saldana actually fought a, a karate guy because the thing about Bruno Souza, it might not be the most exciting style, but he's very unique. There's not a lot of guys like him that have that kind of Machida karate style. Luis Saldana actually fought, uh, do you remember Justin Lawrence from the old? Oh, yeah, Friday? Justin Same Lawrence, man. A hot Dude, prospect at that time. I know. Like we all, I thought he was going to win that season. The one that Kiesa won uh, the yep. same season Vic and Ayakinta was on. Like Justin Lawrence was a problem back then. And man, nine years ago, Justin Lawrence gave Luis Saldana a tour of the octagon. Hopefully now, nine years yeah. later, it's redemption time for him against the karate guy. We'll have to see how it plays out, yep. Nick. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between the hot Ooh. prospect from the Czech Republic, David Dvorak. He's 20 and three, and he's taking on Mateus Nikolaou, who is 17 and two. And currently, they got David Dvorak, minus 130, the comeback on Mateus Nikolaus, plus 110. Now, Nick, man, Mateus Nikolaus is one of my favorite fighters in this division. I think he's super underrated. And at one point, you know, you remember when he fought Louis Smolka? That was one of the biggest bets I've ever made. And it's interesting because, you know, I looked at the number. I looked at the stats, uh, just the, the footage, everything. And it was already going to be a big bet for me on Mateus Nikolaou against Smolka. But then thanks to you, I don't know if you remember. I, I, I know you do remember. Remember when Frank Trigg used to do interviews for you on MMA Oddsbreaker? Oh, of course. Legend so, Frank Trigg, yes. The icing on the cake was when I heard that Frank Trigg interview with Smolka, and Smolka's talking about how he would you know, drink himself to sleep every night. I was like, oh, so it's not just a regular bet. It's a massive, it's a big <laughs> bet here. So thanks to you for that. And also on a side note, guy, I'm not on a side note, guys, I'm not making fun of Smolka. I'm very happy that he's got his stuff together but what i'm trying to say here is that a lot of people say don't put any stock in the interviews and look from the most part you might not get anything out of it but in that specific occasion i got a ton out of it so back to this matchup i think that mateus nicolau i think he's good everywhere man i mean his yes. boxing for mma the calf kicks he comes from novo and Yao. his takedown defense is on point he's a serious black belt my only issue with nicolau 
is his chin and his confidence in his chin. I feel like ever since that Dustin Ortiz fight, which was a shocker because Dustin Ortiz is not known for knocking too many people out. I haven't seen that same, you know, guy in Nikolai who, you know, is primed to be a future title challenger, which is what I was billing him as back in the day. Now with Dvorak, this is this is a test for him. This is the, the best fighter he's ever fought in his entire career. But it seems like he might have the goods, man. I know that no one's exempt from that first UFCL. And if this is vet less than time, so be it. And I also know that dog money on Nikolaou is very tempting. But, man, I, I just feel like when he starts eating these shots, he's not going to quite like it as much. And that's what I'm worried about. So I slightly lean Dvorak here. But I'd be happy if you talked me on the uh, Nikolaou here. Uh, let me know. This is one of my favorite fights on the card. I, I just think, I mean, these are obviously two of the, I think the highest level prospects in the weight class run at 125 pounds, uh, meaning that, I mean, they're knocking on that door of a title shot for sure. If they keep on continuing to move up that ladder and a win over the other's opponent, meaning if Dvorak comes in here and beats Nikolaou, I think it gets him one step closer. I mean, these guys are both legit for sure. Both well-rounded, like you said. I just think the difference is going to be that pressure a little bit more. I think he's going to be able to kind of grind out Nikolaou a little bit. I mean, I, again, he could basically control the wrestling himself. In most cases, Nikolaou can. So it's going to be interesting to see who does control that aspect of the game. But I think it'll be back and forth. It's going to be extremely close. That's why you're seeing the dog money come in here as well. But I think if it hits the scorecards, Dvorak is going to actually – slightly get the decision, meaning it's going to be ultra competitive 29-28. Might even see a split decision, but I do lean Dvorak as well. I think a fight like this is going to let us know exactly where he stacks up in the flyweight division. Like, are we looking at a future tile challenger? Are we looking at just a top 10 guy? Because um, honestly, if you look at that Manel Cap versus Nikolau fight, and not to discredit Nikolau's performance, he did what he had to do, but I felt like that was more about what cap did wrong than what nicolau did right you know cap is so overconfident in his power that he'll sometimes take two to three minutes off a fight not throw yeah. anything the judges, level, yeah. the judges hate that that kind of stuff but when cap lets his hands go the guy's an absolute problem nick yeah, no doubt. I agree with you completely. It's a shame, actually, that his activity level is that slow at times. But credit Nikolaou, man. He did, like you said, he did what he had to do. That was a great quality win. It's hard to argue that win, too. I know a lot of people thought it was kind of controversial. It's hard to argue that he didn't deserve to win that because, you know, the way it kind of all played out. So Nikolaou is definitely, like I said, one of the top guys in the flyweight division right now, and he's knocking on that door. It, again, you got to appreciate that well-rounded skill set he has. He can fight anywhere the fight takes place, but you're right. The durability is a little bit of a concern because he has been rocked at fights. So I think that is a kind of an issue, but I don't know if Dvorak is going to be able to just crack that chin and put him out, though. So if not, it's going to be, like I said, ultra-competitive. Yes, sir. Serious prospect fight. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between the former title challenger, Jennifer Maya. She's 19 and 8, taking on the hot prospect, Manon Fioro, who is 8 and 1. And currently, they got Manon Fioro. Depends where you look, Nick. I see a minus 400. I see a minus 500. The comeback on Jennifer Maya is anywhere from plus 300 to plus 380. Now, I get why people are hesitant to lay the chalk here. And personally, I won't be laying the chalk either. But I'm also not that tempted to take a shot on Maya. And let me explain why. I mean, I think Maya, does she have the tools to win this fight? Yes. I mean, she won a round off Valentina, man. She went out there, took down Valentina that second round, laid on her the entire time. So if I know for a fact that Maya is going to come out here, approach, like, pursue the takedowns from the jump 
keep that top control. She can come out here, win two rounds. I just don't trust her to do that at all, Nick. I think that she's going to have low output on the feet, and I think she might go for a takedown with like two minutes left in the third round, too little, too late. And while all that's going on, Manon Fiero is going to get off on those sidekicks, get off on those big shots. And I think that this is one more in the win column for the hot prospect Manon Fiero. I agree with you. I think I have to pick her, but I'm hoping it's a lot more competitive than we think. I, and I actually hope Maya comes through as an underdog here and pulls off the upset. Because, you know, you got to love a good dog, especially a spot like this where the line seems to be overinflated a little bit. But when it comes down to it, if it hits the scorecards, I do think Furio wins this fight. I mean, she's looked great so far. I think she's legit. There's no question about it. I mean, and I like the kind of the steps forward the UFC's making with her uh, kind of progressing her career towards that shot. If she could beat Maya, then obviously, again, she's in the upper tier and knocking on that title shot door. Of course, we know Shevchenko's kind of went through that flyweight division already. There's not many opponents for her to fight. So it'd be nice to see a fresh young contender like Furio come in there, you know, as far as UFC, because she's only been around for a little while, right? She hasn't been around that long, but she's made some waves for sure with her ability to get in there and put on a great performance. So I think she's ready for this fight. I think she does outpoint Maya and win on the scorecards here. It's going to be a tough fight to finish here for either girl, but I think she could get it done here. But I, again, the price is where it's at. You cannot lay minus 400, man. I think it can potentially be a very competitive fight. And if you're sitting on a, a minus three or 400 line, you know, at the window here, when, when you're reading off a split decision type of fight, possibly right. you're not, you're going to be sweating that. That's not a good thing. So for me, it's a dog or pass situation. I'm probably going to stay away from it. Honestly, I agree with you. I don't think I'm tempted at this price, even though I do think the line is a little bit overinflated to take the dog because I think Furio wins this fight. I mean, this is unequivocally the toughest matchup that Furio's ever fought on uh, no questions asked in, in terms of the ranking, in terms yeah. of the skill, the experience, everything. But let me say something, Nick, because it's, it's, kind of nice to see these emerging French prospects. I know you remember when the French fighters were looked down upon. I mean, you remember that season of the Ultimate Fighter where the guy, I forget his name, but he said something about how you know, we want to show that French guys, you know, are, are tough. And then he and then he quit on the stool between yeah. rounds and it gave them such a bad reputation. But now you got Manon Fioro, you got Nasserdine Imavov, you got Cyril Gan. I'm very excited about what's cooking up there in France right now. Oh, no doubt. And for the longest time, I mean, it was banned in France, right? The sport was, you know, not allowed. So I, they had to go through, I think, some harder times to get where they needed to be, right? So I respect a lot of these MMA competitors that are coming from France. You're right. Absolutely. And, and they are making some noise for sure. So it's fun to see. Absolutely. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between two debutantes. We got Ali Askab, Hizriev. He's 13-0, and welcoming Dennis Tuluan, who is 10-5. Russia versus Russia. And currently, they got it. Depends where you look. I see... I see a minus 500, but yesterday I saw minus 800 somewhere yeah. on, on his rev. Um, and the comeback on Dennis to Luan, anywhere from plus 375 to plus 425. So uh, this is an interesting one. So I actually took his rev, but I took him at minus 325 um, and parlayed him with Good someone bet. later on in the card. And I mean, listen, minus 325 and minus 800 are two completely different bets. I know you know that firsthand, Nick. So, listen, I got the best of it. I'm happy about that. And what I like about his rev, man, is that, look, people are going to criticize him. Oh, he's a five foot nine middleweight. Yeah, but, but when you're a grappler and you got that lower center of gravity, that's actually an advantage as far as I'm concerned. And this guy doesn't play around. He knows exactly where his strengths lie. And I don't think he's even going to waste time on the feet too much. You know, maybe a shot or two just to make the guy think, and then he's going to level change. And the thing with this Tuluan guy Actually, on the feet, he's very dangerous. Reminds me a little he's bit of a, power. 
Reminds yeah. me of like a Russian Dan Hooker. You look when you think of the Russians, you think about the Sambo, the wrestling, the grappling. This guy's a striker. He's a knockout artist, um, and he's very tall and long for the weight class. So if if Hisriev decides that oh it's my UFC debut, I want to stand and bang until one man falls. Well, then there is a live underdog. However, based off this guy's history, he's gonna go out there whether it's the single leg, the double leg, a body lock, whatever it takes. He's gonna take this guy down, and I think he's gonna submit him in the first round. So give me Hisriev for the dub, Nick. Oh, no doubt about it. And you know what? I'm kind of mad at myself. Uh, I mean, the whole market opened this fight way too low, including myself, right? So we disrespected his real. Now what you're seeing, we have it at minus 845 at Circa. Um, the comeback is plus 610. We did get hit on that side from sharp action. And of course, then we reacted to it and, and trying to get money back on the dog. And we have gotten money back on the dog already, too. People are taking bites because of what you said. Tulian's power is definitely going to come into play here. That's a shot to win this fight. But you know what? His Ralph is not bad on the feet either, though. That's the thing. I mean, he, again, what you said is true. He's going to go after the takedowns and he's got a huge advantage on the ground. There's no doubt about it. If you look even at his resume, he's fought quality competition in comparison to Tulian. I mean, the resumes kind of speak for themselves as well. So I don't think is ready for this spot. Like I said, I'm kind of mad that we did open uh, his off a little bit low overall market wide. We should open it a little bit higher and uh, we're paying for it as well as far as the action of the parlays and everything coming in. But again, thankfully, we're able to attract some dog action as far as a sportsbook goes. So I don't think it's going to be as bad um, as it looks now going from minus 300 to like minus eight or 900 is not a good thing. Most in most cases, if you're taking, you know, real limit bets. So that being said, I don't think it's going to end up being too bad, thankfully. But yeah, I think his real rolls. He's a definitely an interesting prospect. I think he's legit. Yeah, I think I seem to recall Dana questioning, you know, maybe he should go with the people at the PI drop to 170 pounds. That remains to be seen. I mean, maybe the fact that he's not cutting weight aids him. It just depends how these fights play out. Maybe not this one, but maybe the ones where he starts fighting some more established UFC fighters. But what I love about this guy, obviously, like I said, he knows where his strengths lie, but it's not just a submission game. You've seen this guy's ground and pound, Nick. I mean, he's absolutely vicious. Yes. Love it, man. That's why I think he's an exciting prospect, man. There's no doubt about it. Cause again, most of his fights, you watch his fights. He's not ever a dull fight, man. He brings it, you know, from start to finish. He, he seems to be the real deal for sure. I, I, I agree with the size. It's it's a shame sometimes when you're kind of stuck in between a weight class. And I think that might be the case for him, but yeah, I mean, other than that though, I think he's going to perform relatively well, especially if, if matched right. And this is definitely a good matchup for him. I agree. Now, Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Dana Batgari. He's 12 and 2, taking on Chris Gutierrez, who is 17 and 3. And currently, they got it. All the odds are like all over the place. They're not in the order of the fight. So I gotta uh, <laughs> I gotta I gotta look around here. Okay, here we go. Minus 150 Batgari, the comeback on Chris Gutierrez is plus 130. Interesting because yesterday I saw a minus 130 on uh, Batgari. So you know, this, this is a line that's been fluctuating back and forth. I mean, Nick, I, I think this is one of those where you got the explosive, fast, heavy hands of Batgari versus the very elite kicking game of uh, Chris Gutierrez. How you kind of see this one playing out? I think Gutierrez is the better striker, despite Batagree's, I mean, power, like you said, and he's not a sloppy fighter by any means. So I'm not saying that he's not a technical fighter because it's fun to watch him. I mean, he does have clean technique and man, he's just got that crazy stunning power on the end of those fists, man. I mean, he hits like a truck, right? For that weight class, especially. So he's very dangerous, but I still think Gutierrez is the type of person that defensively he could be on his bicycle a little bit, kind of counter shots again, utilize those leg kicks that he does very well. And if he can survive that first round, which I think he will be able to, I think round two, round three, he can start picking him apart a little bit more. So I think it's a dog or pass situation. I kind of like and lean Gutierrez in this spot, to be honest with you. 
I mean, I feel where you're coming from. I mean, Gutierrez has been putting up the numbers. He's got probably the best kicking game in the Bantamweight division. I mean, I've talked to guys that have faced him, and they said that even when this guy kicks you with his toes, not the shin, with the toes, it burns. It's like nothing nothing that you could prepare for in the gym. And to take it a step further, the not-back Gary is open for those kicks, as you saw in uh, some of his fights, you know, the Guido Canetti fight, for example. But that being said, one thing I did also notice on the tape was that Bakary actually has quite a bit of a speed advantage here. And that's one thing I'm worried about for Chris Gutierrez here. Because I know Gutierrez, he's fantastic at his game. He knows exactly where his strengths lie. And he's not going to fight uncharacteristic. He's going to be backing up. You give this guy an opening for counters. I mean, the leg kicks, the spins. And don't sleep on his punches either. And from time to time, he will mix in a takedown or two. So I like the development I've seen from Gutierrez. But right now, I think this guy, Bakary, is riding on serious confidence i mean you see the looks in these guys faces when they get hit by him i mean look i guess we can kind of put the guido canetti and maybe the natividad fight on the back burner those guys maybe have had you know chin issues in the past but brandon davis a guy who's never been knocked out a guy who put up a tough fight against the beat magomed sharipov when brandon davis got clipped by baggery it's like he didn't know what hit him uh it, it was truly like a jolt went through his body. His life flashed before his eyes. That's the kind of power we're dealing with here yep. with Denai Bakary. And I've heard a narrative about how, you know, there's concerns that Bakary slows down as fights progress just because most of his wins have been in the first round. And I actually kind of disagree with that, Nick, because if you look at the numbers of his highly Alatang fight, which did win fight of the night in his debut, you know, he lost it because he got taken down three times. His output actually got better as the fight progressed. So I don't think there's a cardio issue here. So while I feel you that it might be a dogger pass situation, as a pure pick, I'm actually going to ride with uh, the favorite here and did not back Gary. And I expect a very competitive, technical chess match of a striking uh, of a striking fight here. Yeah, looking forward to this as well, man. It, it should be a great fight. Again, another well-matched fight from the UFC. You got to love it. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between the former Olympian, Sarah McMahon. She's 12 and 6, taking on another hot prospect in Carol Hosa, who is 15 and 3. And currently, they got it. Carol Hosa minus 220. The comeback on Sarah McMahon is plus 180. Now, uh, I'm going to let you go first. I got a strong opinion on this one. I don't want to sway you, even though I know I'm not going to sway you, but let me hear what you have to say about this first. <laughs> I personally stayed away from this one as well. I mean, Hosa at this point of her career should be favored. I mean, McMahon, it's hard to trust her. It's hard to trust her fight IQ at times. It's hard to trust her durability at times. It seems like her conditioning is kind of sketchy, but the girl is a freak in as far as physical freak and talent. Man, she, she has a skill set. She's one of the best wrestlers we've seen all time in the ladies divisions, right? She's phenomenal and don't sleep on her striking. I mean, she puts her hands together relatively well. Uh, I think she's gotten better in the boxing aspect of things too. And of course she gets top position. She has nasty ground and pound. Uh, she doesn't stay active as much as you like to see when she's on top or whatnot. And she's got some submission skills. So she has a lot of great attributes to possibly win this fight. But at the same time, I just think I don't trust her fight IQ. I think Hosa does have enough power on the feet to, to make this interesting. I think the wrestling obviously is going to come into play here. They're both going to try to take each other down. I mean, McMahon should be able to stuff the takedowns, right? And out wrestle her, you would think in this spot, but as the fight progresses, I think Hosa's probably going to end up landing the finishing shot. So I'll pick Hosa, but I cannot lay the price, man. Even, even so, because I, I just, I'm kind of waiting for McMahon to kind of go out there and perform like she's able to. And we haven't seen that in a while, but I, I do think she has that inner still possibly. So for me, I'm being a little bit cautious, I guess on this fight. So you're waiting for it now that she's almost 42 because when she was in her prime, it wasn't good enough. You know what I mean, Nick? 
Yeah, she's definitely obviously, you know, aging and that's not going to help her as well. But I mean, I, I just I, I guess I respect her wrestling to the point where I think it could be a problem for most of these ladies, even though I don't trust her at this point. Look, I respect her wrestling and I believe she's going to come out here and land takedowns 100%. But the fight's not over with one or two takedowns, as you've seen throughout Sarah McMahon's career. And one thing that really stands out about this Carl Hosa, man, is that we're talking about an hour of octagon time to look at. We're not talking about, you know, she had one little finish on contender series and, oh, she landed 16 strikes per minute. Let's overblow this stat. No, we're dealing with an hour of octagon time. She averages close to eight strikes per minute landed. Now, off her back, that, we're going to get to the off her back talk here in a second, but on the feet, I think that she's got McMahon covered. Look, McMahon definitely comes out throwing bombs in the early going. There's no debate. It's just McMahon, you know, there's the famous Floyd Mayweather quote. You know, it's one thing to give it, but can you take it too? And yeah. I just simply don't think that McMahon can take it too. And and before I talk about these Carl Hosen numbers, let me bring something else up. And people are going to write this off because Juliana Pena is the champ. So, oh, how could you even bring this up? But let me bring something up. First round of the fight between Sarah McMahon and Juliana Pena. Sarah McMahon, Sarah McMahon won the first round like she tends to do. Second round. Listen to this, Nick. The second round, Juliana Pena won unanimous, unanimously, unanimously excuse me, on all three scorecards off her back. Now, it wasn't with submission attempts. She was literally punching Sarah McMahon off her back. All three judges scored it for, uh, for uh, Juliana Pena. So anybody here saying that, you know, McMahon was up two rounds and then she pulled a stunt. That's not what happened, guys. It was 1-1 going to the third round and then she finished her. So let's just bring that up. So if Carl Hosa is here getting taken down, I think she's going to be throwing up those sub attempts, which we've seen McMahon get subbed multiple times. I also think she's going to be punching her from bottom. And then when that second round rolls around and the takedowns aren't as easy to come by, that's where I think these numbers I'm about to bring up uh, are going to play into factor here. Because listen to this, Nick. We've seen Carl Hosa go out there, land 171 significant strikes in a 15-minute fight. We've seen her land 120 significant strikes. We've seen her land 125. When's the last time you saw someone in this weight class consistently land over 100 significant strikes in a 15-minute fight? Let me just tell you, let me just say this to put it in perspective. Juliana Pena, the current champion, has never landed 100 significant strikes even once in any fight. Now, you could point to the level of competition. I get it. But, but still, at the same time, like when Juliana was on her come up, it's not like she was fighting the best of the best right away. She had to take her, you know, her cupcake matches to get her up to the point she's at. And that's where I think Carl Hosa is at right now. She's passed all her tests with flying colors. And now it's time to step up and fight the former title challenger. And, and I just think that, you know, once we get past these takedowns and once the going gets tough, that's where I think, you know, uh, what what is she like, 28, 27? That's where I think the younger, fresher, but an hour of octagon experience, Carl Hosa is going to come out here and break Sarah McMahon down the stretch. Like I just cannot trust. I, I never trusted Sarah McMahon from day one, let alone when she's about to turn 42. So I think Carl Hosa breaks her down the stretch. Um, and also let's bring up Carl Hosa's losses because she did get submitted twice on the regional scene. I'm not going to sit here and ignore that. However, let's put some context into those fights first. One of them was that featherweight against Larissa Pacheco. Larissa Pacheco's only losses are to Jermaine Durandamy, champion, Jessica Andrade, champion, Kayla Harrison, champion. There's no shame in losing those fights. Her other loss was to Melissa Gatto, who has been killing it in the UFC, getting finishes against people that don't often get finished. Like, when's the last time you saw Sajara Eubanks get knocked out? in a fight like Sajari Eubanks may alternate wins and losses, but no one's out here finishing her like that. So I think that those were against two 
underrated fighters. And to take it a step further, it's not that Carl Hosa was getting taken down and getting subbed. In the Pacheco fight, look, she she dove headfirst into a guillotine. That's a mistake you can correct. And in the Gato fight, she got submitted from on top with a Kimura from guard. And what I'm trying to say is that that was 2018. It's 2022 now. So what kind of improvements has she made? Well, she's earned her black belt since that time. So that, to me, shows me that she... You know, she had the accountability. Like you hear Jamal Hill talking about his fight with Craig. You don't hear him say, oh, it was a fluke. Oh, you know, he got lucky. He's, he gives all the credit in the world to Paul Craig. Those are the kind of things you like to see fighters take accountability. And since the point that she lost those fights, she's gone on to earn her black belt. She's gone on to set records in the UFC. Only fighter in women's history to land over 100 significant strikes uh, three separate occasions. So. I think Carl Hosa is the hot prospect, and I think she's going to come out here and make Sarah McMahon quit down the stretch. So I parlayed his riff and uh, Carl Hosa at minus 108. That line is currently not available anymore. Wow. That's where I got it. That's a great price, and that's a great parlay for sure. I think you're going to probably win that. I'm just, like I said, I'm more hesitant because Hosa, you said offensively, she's definitely capable. It's impressive what she's done and what she's able to do, and she, she is improving for sure. There's no doubt. And once you get in the octagon and kind of settle in, I mean, you just become a better fighter, especially if you're on a nice little win streak and roll. So I think her confidence is at an all-time high, and McMahon has to have question marks all over her mentally as well, right, to think, you know, maybe I am shot. Maybe I'm not at the same point. I'm getting older. All those questions have to come into play, but – defensively, Hosa does have some flaws. I mean, whether it's the submission defense that you touched on, uh, even if she is falling into stuff, like you said, or if she gets hit on the feet as well. I mean, her output is great, but she is hittable. We've seen that too. So again, McMahon does have a little bit of power, but I agree with the narrative. I think she probably does end up getting finished before it hits the scorecards, possibly in round two, round three, for sure. So I do agree with you. I just, I can't lay it though yet, because I think Hosa is going to, at one point, have that fight where she just, I think it's going to be an eye opener because her defensive flaws are going to come through and they're going to show it probably won't be this fight against McMahon, but it's probably coming as she takes a step forward. Well, hopefully it's not this fight against McMahon. Yeah, I, think, well, I think you're probably safe. <laughs> we'll have to see what happens, but yeah, that's my take on this fight. That's Nick's take. And now let's get down to the featured prelim in the welterweight division between the always tough out Neil Magny is 25 and eight taking on Max Griffin, who is 18 and eight. And currently they got it. Neil Magny minus 230, Nick. The comeback on Max Griffin is plus 190. Listen, you know, the, the few times I've bet Neil Magny has been at dog odds, whether it was against Johnny Hendricks, whether it was against Hector Lombard. And then just full disclosure, guys, I have a terrible history of fading Neil Magny. Um, the only times I've successfully done it was actually against Santiago Ponzinibbio. Aside from that, I haven't been good at, at fading him like these guys fall right into Neil Magny's game plans. Like, you, you think you're going to come out here, chop his legs down like many people have shown, like Lorenz Larkin showed, like Santiago showed. But for some reason, these guys want to wrestle Neil Magny. They gas themselves out when they do that. And then from range, Neil Magny with the longest reach in the weight class, he's going to pile up that volume. He's got some nice takedowns of his own. Neil Magny is very well-rounded. So what I want to know, Nick, is what kind of stock are we putting into this resurgence of Max Griffin? Like, I understand the competition might, might be a little soft, after. However, the confidence as a, is at an all-time high. It is, man. And I'm, I'm a believer. I mean, he's put together three impressive wins. I think he just feels like a different fighter. When you're watching him out there, it seems like everything's kind of coming together for him, right? I mean, he's flowing better. His confidence is at all-time. He just looks the part right now. But, 
I mean, getting matched up with Magni, man. I mean, he's a nightmare matchup for most people, right? I mean, with his length, with his ability to, to know how to use it, with his underrated wrestling, you know, he, he's got the striking as well. Magni's just a nightmare matchup. I mean, if he gets you up against a cage, he can kind of drape on you, try to get the takedown, just slow the pace of the fight down. There's just so many good things about Magni and, and his talk about impressive performances throughout his career. I mean, he's pulled off so many great upsets. Like you said, if he's an underdog, it's so tempting to take Magni because he overperforms more times than not. So I think Magni does win this fight. We've seen some sharp action at Circa come in and hit that Magni side as well. Uh, but for me personally, I won't lay 230. I won't lay 240 because I do think Griffin's on the rise, man. And he could give Magni some problems. We've seen Magni in the past defensively. Again, he's kind of got a little bit of that tall man's defense, right? I mean, you can get through and crack that chin a little bit and hurt him. I um, mean, he's also been put on his back as well. I mean, Griffin probably is not that level of, of wrestler that's going to give Magni a ton of problems, like as far as going for takedowns and getting him down and grinding him out. So I think this is a good stylistical matchup in that regard. But, I mean, again, the Griffin improvement – tied in with the price, I think I, it just causes me to stay away from it. But I do think Magni probably ends up edging this fight out. I mean, look, the price, the price. It opened minus 150. Look, okay, minus 150, minus 175, minus 185, okay. But when we're talking minus 230, Magni's a guy I want to take at dog odds. And uh, Gr uh, Griffin's confidence is at an all-time high. Yep. Listen, I'm, I'm not going to pick Griffin, but I might say this is a dog or pass situation at a price like that. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue that. Like I said, I don't I think we can lay the chalk, even though we've seen Sharps come in and bet it, and respectable opinions, right, that came in and bet the Magni price. I, I just personally wouldn't do it. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel I'm smashing it at minus 150 to minus 175. By oh, all right. means. Honestly, if you get under minus 190, I would, yeah, I would have taken it, you know, because you expect it to kind of triple up. Yeah, so I think minus 190 and below, there's obviously – as the price goes down, people got to understand it. If you're getting minus 150, it's a bigger bet than it is at minus 190, right? So depending on what price you got, of course. But now, like you said, when it's at minus 220s, 230s, 240s, 250s, um, I believe it's circa right now. We currently have it around 270. We got a minus 270 plus 230. And that a lot of times, you know, when we're up that high, the market kind of rises with us a little bit. So that price is probably going to continue to climb a little bit. But at some point, we will receive some buyback on that dog and the price might drop a little bit. But it's going to stay around minus 250s for sure, I think, at this point. And let me say something in uh, Max Griffin's defense, because I've bet against him in the Colby Covington fight. And um, one more fight, which I hopefully remember here in a second. Oh, yeah, the Eliza Zuleski fight. And let me tell you that this guy gave me a sweat in both. Look, the Colby fight, yes, it was a domination. But, I mean, this guy, Kimura, swept Colby Covington, which one doesn't simply do. And then in the Eliza Zuleski fight, first round, he goes out there. He drops Eliza Zuleski. I'm laying minus 220 on Zaleski. My guy gets dropped. I'm like, oh, my fucking God. Like, what is going on here? So, And now that we're dealing with the most confident, the best version of Max Griffin, um, I just don't think it's going to be sweat free is all I got to say. Yeah, no doubt. And I hope he comes out here and performs well. Right. I mean, I hope he keeps it going, honestly. So I hope he could pull off this upset. Like I said, though, Magny's just so smart, man. He's just so good. It's so like, you know what you're getting. Yeah. Talk about a fighter that's got to come to fight that you're not going to have to worry about his fight IQ. You know what I mean? That in, in most cases, I mean, you can go through the card and say, man, I, I like this fighter, but his IQ or this and that, right. Magny's one of those guys that you don't have to worry as much about those kind of things. I think. Overall, yeah, so he's def definitely quality guy.
definitely plays to his strengths and definitely as experienced as they get. Because, I mean, I know you remember when he was on the Ultimate Fighter, he got knocked out by Mike Ricci. People were saying, oh, yeah, this, yeah. this ain't going to pan out, guys. UFC debut against Seth Bozinski. We're like, yeah, okay. And then he goes on this massive streak, gets upset after upset after upset. Like, I know you remember when Neil Magny upset Kelvin Gastelum in Mexico as a massive Crazy. dog. Gastelum started coming back. But that being said, yeah, I mean, early on, wow. I, I was shocked, honestly. Yeah, that was one of, I think, still one of his best performances performances um in, of his career he's had so many great ones right so yeah magny's definitely legit like you said from the ultimate fighter to now his improvements it's all the work he's put in man he's surrounded himself with a great camp great team and then the effort that he puts in to get himself where he is so and he never turns down to a fight right i mean not that i've heard like he's game to fight anybody anytime give me any prospect you want i'll, I'll step in there and fight him so you got to respect that he's a true fighter yeah, so I'll be curious to see how Griffin responds to this massive opportunity in his career. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the main card now, but before we do, everybody do us a huge favor. Smash that like button. Hit the subscribe button. Truly appreciate it. Now, kicking off the main card, we got a lightweight showdown between Mark Jacasey. He's 14-5, and five, and he's taking on Vyashlav Borshev, who is 6-1. And, and, cur- and currently, they got... Via, or Slava Borshev, he's minus 160. The comeback on Mark Jacasey is plus 140. This is interesting. I get the dog money on Jacasey. You want to test out Slava. You want to see if he's really the real deal. We've seen some holes on the ground, this and that. But I'm also under the inclination, like, I get Jacasey is a great athlete. I get that he's paid his dues. But, like, how many times are we going to trust this guy only for him to let us down? Like, at what point do we consider him a busted prospect or – do we think that he finally, after all these years, puts it together, Nick? Ah, man, I'd like to think he finally puts it together because I like the guy, man. I, I think it's fun to watch him fight. In most cases, he goes out there and performs well. He's he's con- continues to improve his game because when he first came into the UFC, he wasn't as well-rounded as he is now. He's definitely improved. You know, He's filled a lot of those holes that he had in his game, but is it enough? I mean, he's on a two-fight skid, of course. In this spot here, and Borshev, I mean, Slava Claus has looked pretty damn good. And if this fight stays on the feet, then we could see that Casey be in some trouble, especially, you know, coming off of – he got kind of destroyed in his last fight right before he ended up getting choked out. But that being said, I think that Casey can make this an interesting fight. For Borshev, we've seen some defensive flaws on the feet as well, it's not just the ground with him, right? I mean, he's hittable. I mean, offensively, the guy is smooth. He He's probably – I don't know, someone that you wouldn't imagine being that effective on the feet, right? If you look at him, I don't know, the way he moves, the way he flows sometimes, it's a lot more effective than, than you think at times, right? So I do respect that in his game, but I do defensively he does have those flaws. That Casey is definitely, I think, a decent step up in competition, meaning if he can get by him with – with the way he's going to try to probably get some takedowns, right? I think that Casey, he's not going to be a dummy. He's going to try to come in here and slow this fight up. He's got, obviously the fight's going to stand on the start on the feet and it's going to stay upright. They're going to be going back and forth a little bit, but when that Casey gets the opportunity to kind of clinch up and get this fight to the floor, he's going to probably do so. So I think if he could hang in there, this is going to be a rough fight for Borshev as well, but I'm looking forward to watching this play out. I can't lay it either, man. I know a lot of people are probably as of price drops, because we are seeing that uh, dog money come in. Like you said, that Casey is an underdog. Definitely tempting. We're going to see some, people come back and bet Slava Claus as well and uh this line will probably increase a little bit but for me it's another spot I'm sorry to say it but I'm I'm gonna definitely stay away from it and see how this plays out if Slava Claus can get this W man it's gonna be impressive because I think that Casey's a little bit better than people are giving him credit for right now yeah I mean listen the guys paid his dues and it's not like the guys he's been losing to are softballs either he's been in there with very tough competition 
And at some point, you want to see these guys finally put put it together. It's just a question of if he's one of these guys that will. You know, he did leave ATT. Now, I'm not saying that that's a good thing or a bad thing. We don't know. Maybe he feels, you know, he feels better uh, over overseas in the UK. Who knows? And then with Borshev, at least what I like about him, because, look, I know everybody sees he's Russian, so they automatically assume that they haven't watched him fight. Oh, he's probably got a great grappling game, but that's actually not how he fights at all. Right. His grappling is lacking, but his striking is where it's at. He's a former kickboxer. But what I like about this guy is that, He's out of his comfort zone, Nick. He's over there at Alpha Male in California working with D1 wrestlers every single day. I mean, you're going to see incremental improvements every single fight. It's just that we've seen Jacasey come out here, land multiple takedowns inside the octagon. But just because he lands one takedown does not necessarily mean the fight is going to be over shortly after. Like, we're not dealing with a right. third-degree jujitsu black belt uh, here or anything like that. So, to me, the question is, Jacasey gets these early takedowns. Borshev gets back up. What happens from there? Because I don't think Mark is completely done on the feet. Like, I think he's got a good calf kick game. He's very explosive. He can throw some things you don't expect, the spins. It's just when you come down to, you know, the the boxing side of things, man. I mean, I think it's night and day when you talk about Borshev, man. His hands are very on point. And even though he has been taken down in these fights, it's, it's a massive red flag. And you can truly see that a better guy on the mat is going to capitalize, is going to tap this guy out. No, no questions asked. It's also about, you know, the fact that, like I said, he's out of his comfort zone. He's training every single day at Alpha Male. I expect to see improvement. So minus 190 on Borshev, I wasn't feeling at all. That was a dog or pass situation. But now if he comes down to minus 130, not that I'm necessarily going to be interested in it, but I would say that the value would be gone on, on Jacasey at that point. Um any take on the line movement? Yeah, we have it at minus 148, and we have seen some uh, dog action, obviously, into Casey as well. But it's nothing crazy, though. We're not getting, you know, the, the market is just kind of gradually moving down um, with, I, th I think, spots are getting hit, obviously, on that side, right? So the market is just coming, kind of coming down. But it hasn't been like anything crazy as far as a huge amount of sharp action coming into that side either, right? So I think a lot of people are kind of hesitant to bet this fight, believe it or not, because of all the question marks surrounding both fighters. So I think, again, this is a good matchup, though, because another competitive line, if you look at it from top to bottom so far, all these fights that we've been talking about, for the most part, are competitively lined. So I think it's going to be another great fight night card, um, which is awesome, because we saw, I think... You know, maybe a couple months back. Now, the last few cards, I think, have been fantastic. Probably not getting enough recognition or credit. But we saw a couple cards, I think, that were a little bit not up to par of what we were used to, right? But now we're starting to get, you know, in these spots where, again, we're seeing a lot of competitive lines, a lot of competitive fights, and this is one of them. So looking forward to it. But like, you're right. As the line kind of drops down even more, I think it opens up some value possibly in the favorite here. Yeah, so the the way I see it playing out, look, I don't have money on this fight, but just as a pure pick, I think Borshev probably gets taken down early, and if he can avoid getting submitted or pounded out, I think he gets back up, and that's you know where he starts to kind of pull away, chip away at Jacasey, and land the better shots, possibly get him out of there too. Um, yeah, he might. But it's a pure pick and not a bet. So, but a great test though. I mean, really good test to see where he's at, right? Because the Casey, at least I think is one of those guys that if you can beat him, then you're definitely on the right track or on the right path. So this is a definitely a good, the right step up in competition. hundred percent. Now, Next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Alexei Olenek. Listen to this record. He's, he's 59 and 16, and that's all we know about Nick. I know for a fact he's got a bunch of other fights that aren't yeah. even on his record. You know he's one of those I guys, I love this right? guy. I love this guy, man. I mean, <laughs> I wish he would have got it into, on the UFC roster a lot sooner than he did. It's a shame, right? I mean, it's, it's one of those guys that I think – you know, imagine if he did come over a little bit earlier where he'd be right now, too. But again, father time catches up to everybody. He's 44 years old, unfortunately, right now. 
I mean, I know you remember outside the UFC when he was schoolyard headlocking Mirko Krokov. You understand what I'm saying? So this guy is a true vet of the sport. Even fought Chael Sonnen a long-ass time ago, too. Now, on the other side, we got Alir Latifi, who was 15-8 and at at heavyweight, uh, just so everyone knows, you know, former 205-er. And currently, they got it. Alir Latifi, minus 185. The comeback on Alexei Olenek is plus 160. This is an interesting one for me, man, because it's like – Okay, so on one hand, Latifi's never been taken down in his entire UFC career, also never been submitted. Uh, on the other hand, you know, this guy, Alexei Olenek, I mean, when was the last time you saw a guy get full mounted and pull off a submission from the bottom full mount? Like, uh, Alexei can do things that other guys simply can't He's do. Freak, yeah. And then there's questions of does Latifi even have a neck to choke? And then on the feet, my, my, my concerns are this. I do think that sometimes Alexei Olenek kind of goes a little bit kamikaze, just comes right at you, throws everything he's got, but no pacing whatsoever. So if he can't get you out of there, then you'll start to wilt a bit. And then the the output on the Latifi side is not quite there, but the power it, it is there for sure. And to take it a step further, Latifi's kind of been grinding out some of these last few fights. Can he have success doing that against such an established grappler like Alexei Olenek? I would not try to grapple with Olenek at all. I mean, the path to victory here, there's no no way. Uh, the path to victory, obviously, for Latifi is knocking him out. I think he's capable of doing that. That's why you're seeing him favored. Right now, we have it at circa minus 200 plus 175, and we did see some sharp buys on that price around minus 165, minus 170, minus 175 on the Latifi side. So that's why we pushed the line up a little bit more. It's another tough spot, man. Olenek is one of these guys, such a savvy vet that man, he's capable of finishing anybody. Like you said, he's got such an unorthodox submission game and it's so effective. And then even on the feet, I mean, he is dangerous. You got to respect it because he's throwing bombs early on. Like you said, man, I mean, it's not the most technical at times, but if he lands a shot, you're in some serious trouble and he's going after it. Right. And at this point of his career, he's got nothing to lose. So he's an ultra dangerous heavyweight, even at age 44, very capable of finishing fights. But that being said, I think Latifi, his durability overall has been pretty good. And, and again, he's, he's going to have the speed and power. And I think he's very difficult, obviously to take the floor as well, even though Olenek going to have that big size advantage here in this spot. I think Latifi eventually catches that chin and puts him out, which is kind of a shame because look, again, I'm, I'm a big Olenek fan. I don't want to see the guy get knocked out again, but I think that's probably what happens here. Let me ask you your opinion on this. Okay. About the, the action coming in the sharp action on Latifi. Is it in your opinion, more of a fade on Olenek? The fact that he's 44 years old, he's on a three fight skid. It seems like we're at the tail end or is it a bet on Latifi? Cause there is a difference between the two. I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you, because I think they're respecting Latifi's power in this matchup. And again, the durability of, of Olenek right now, it factored in with his age as well. So I think it's a combination of both, to be honest with you. I think they're seeing, kind of the light at the end of the tunnel thinking to, to themselves like this is a spot where more times than not you know there's value here at that price so that's why they took it now as it gets to minus 200 it's, you know it's starting to get obviously to that price point where i wouldn't be surprised if it moves up a little bit more because again we will see some people looking for parlays looking to kind of a lot of players out there even some of the big betters that aren't necessarily sharp players if they see a line steam like if a line moves up to minus 200 they're just going to jump on it too thinking oh this must be the right side so here i'm going to get on as well and you know what i mean then before you know you have even more action even if it's not a good price or whatnot too so it might increase a little bit but i, I don't think it's going to fly too much longer and i don't think any sharps are going to re- realistically at this point come in and, and kind of lay that type of chalk either I mean, at least at this spot yeah i mean look it's another pure pick for latifi but 
I'm kind of sketched out. Like, I feel like Latifi might just come out here and knock this guy out. I mean, Olenek has not been responding well. Like, again, like what we were talking about earlier, these days he can give it. I'm just not convinced he can take it too. Not not that Latifi can either. I mean, you saw that Bozer fight. He was in big trouble at one point in that fight. So let's not sit here and act like Latifi is Mr. Durable either, especially at heavyweight when the guy's a lifelong 205-er. It's just, you know... On principle, I do kind of got a fade to do that turns 45 his next birthday already on a three-fight skid. Even though he showed a lot more spirit in that Spivak fight, uh, Spivak fight than I expected com- compared to his previous two coming coming into it. So from time to time, Ole Nick can surprise you. Yeah, no doubt. That's why I think he's ultra dangerous, man. I, it's hard for me when he's on, on the other side as an underdog. It's hard for me to lay the chalk against this guy. I feel you, Nick. So next up. In the flyweight division, we got a number one contender fight between Asker Askarov. He's 14-0-1 with the draw going to the former champion. The draw coming against the former champion, rather, uh, Brandon Moreno, taking on Kai Kara France, who is 23-9. And currently, they got Asker Askarov, minus 350. The comeback on Kai Kara France is plus 285. Now, Nick, the big question is, is this line off or not? Is it too wide or not? I mean, here's my thing. I think this dude, Asker Askarov, is the goods. I think he's a stud. I mean, to make your UFC debut against Brandon Moreno, and, I mean, he's winning that fight besides the times that he gets dropped in that fight, but the times that he gets dropped in that fight, Kai Kara France can hit. One thing about this dude He's got big power for the for the division. It's just about can he survive these grinding moments where, you know, when he gets back up to the feet, if he gets back up to the feet, I have to assume that there's going to be a little bit of huffing and puffing going on. Maybe there's going to be a little bit of steam taking off those punches. So is this a dog or pass situation in your opinion, or is it time to parlay Askarov and see him get a title shot? Don't parlay Askarov here, just in case. I mean, like you said, it, style, styles make fights, and obviously the blueprint here for Askarov is get the fight to the floor, control it. But, man, we've seen Cara France, like you said. He's he's no dummy, man. When he gets the opportunity to get space and keep this fight on the feet, he's bringing it. I mean, I was on the Bontarine side when he fought Bontarine, right? Uh, and he made me pay for it. And, and Bontarine started off, you saw how good and how, how much success early on Bontarine was having. But credit to Cara France. I mean, when he got the opportunity to start throwing, he did so. So I think he's going to have to kind of have that same mentality here against Askarov. And when he gets the opportunity, he's going to be throwing bombs. And on the feet, even though Askarov is no total slouch, he is hittable. We've seen him get hurt, like you said. So I think that's his path to victory, pulling off the upset for Car France. He's capable of doing so. So at minus 345, minus 350 in this spot, I think Car France is being a little bit disrespected. But it's another spot where I do think Askarov is probably going to win based on his control, based on his grappling ability, based on his wrestling. I mean, this guy guy is legit like you said and i kind of want to see him get this w and kind of get in the title mix for sure in this spot but give credit to car france man i mean he's definitely been a really solid dog and he's got a lot of fight in him and his mentality his mental state is getting better too i think he's getting more confidence he's been working i know a lot of on that aspect of things too and he seems to be paying off so car france is definitely a dangerous fighter and I mean, you look at the guys that Askar Askarov has been beating. I mean, we're not talking about some scrubs here. We're talking about debut against Moreno, second fight against Tim Elliott, Pantoja, Benavides, like all top five guys minus Elliott, who Elliott might not be a top five guy, but there's only one Tim Elliott. He's a very funky guy to deal with. There's no other guys like Tim Elliott. And whether Tim Elliott wins or loses, he's always going to give you a unique kind of challenge. And this guy passed the challenge, and actually we saw a little bit of punching power from uh, Askarov. And I know you recall he dropped Elliot, but Elliot woke up midair, and uh, they ended up having a nice little three-round fight. But 
once he got that first UFC win under his belt, you saw the Pantoja performance. You saw the Benavidez one. And it's easy to say that that was Benavidez's retirement fight. But it's one thing to go out there and start a guy like Benavidez, which is also hard to do. Only guys like Davison and Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson are out here doing things like that. But it's another thing to go out there and out grapple such a talented wrestler like, so like Benavidez. That was like shocking how easily he was able to do that, to be honest with you. So, yeah, that's so that's the level that you're dealing with here with Ascroft. Absolutely. Yeah, and then on the France side, you already know the deal. And honestly, his takedown defense is 87%. He also hasn't fought uh, a guy like Askar Askarovs, but you can't count this guy out. Look, if Askar Askarov is feeling cocky, oh, I just beat Benavidez Pantoja, like, oh, I'm going to stand and bang with Kai Car France. I mean, you never know what they're going to come out here and do. If he wants to get cocky, then there's a chance Kai Car uh, France, uh, you know, clips him. But I do think the minutes and the rounds are going to be won by Askar Askarov. It's just about, is Kai Car France going to have that one opportunistic moment where he changes the fight? Kind of like, to your credit, the Bonserine fight. Bonserine won, won, what, four minutes of that fight? But it only so took one second for Kai Car France to turn everything around. Yep, yep. It, it take my money that quick. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was definitely frustrating. Thought I was on the right side there. But, again, that's you're right. And then credit him, man. I mean, like I said, that's why he's such a, a, a good dog, meaning that, I mean, he, he bites out of that mouthpiece. He's got to throw some bombs. I mean, I, I love Garbrandt, but I was on Car France against Garbrandt as well. And I, I kind of figured that the fight would kind of play out that way because of that. So that's the kind of power you're dealing with. You With Car France, you definitely have one of the best strikers in the flyweight division. There's no question about that. No questions asked. Now, guys, before we talk about the featured bout between Matt Brown and Brian Barberena, which is going to be pandemonium, do me a huge favor. Smash that like button. Hit the subscribe. Leave us some comments. Share. Retweet. Everything. We truly appreciate it. Helps grow the channel. So thank you guys so much. Now, featured bout in the welterweight division. We got Matthew Immortal Brown. He's 23 and 18, taking on Brian Bam Bam Barberena, who is 16 and 8. And currently, they got it. Bar uh, Barberena minus 110, Matt Brown minus 110. So it's a dead pick em, which is interesting, Nick, because a couple months back, I actually bet on Matt Brown in the same matchup at plus 160. Now, minus 110 and plus 160 are two completely different bets. Now, another thing that's different is that original fight was not in Ohio. And we know that, I mean, listen, I don't know how much stock you put into hometown advantage. All I know is that Matt Brown ain't going to be showing up soft for this fight. Matt Brown didn't skip his runs. He didn't, you know, skip his meal plans. He wasn't out here, you know, eating at Fogo to chow on fight week. I think that Matt Brown took this one seriously. How do you think they stack up? I know there's a nine-year age differential here, but I also am under the inclination that since that Luke fight, Barberena's also seen better days, Nick. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I think both of these guys are definitely on um, – you know, the downward end of their career for sure. Obviously the age factor here, 41 years old for Brown and at 32 years old for Barbarina. Barbarina has a little bit more youth on his side, but again, in MMA years, both these guys have been in some crazy wars and a lot of fights. Of course, Brown more so, but I still favor Brown in this spot. I mean, he's the better fighter. Barbarina is one of those tough guys that he's such a, a difficult out, meaning when, when he's standing across room for the octagon, you know you're going to have one of the toughest fights of your life. I mean, he's given very good competition, very good fighters, very difficult fights because he's just in your face. He's never taken a step back. I mean, he's durable. He's just such a pain 
in the ass to, to have in front of you because you know he's going to bring it that whole time he's in the octagon. So that being said, I think Brown is more effective, though. I think he's got more finishing ability. I think he's the better ground fighter as well. I wouldn't be surprised to see Brown shoot in and get a takedown here over Barbarina. Barbarina's takedown defense continues to improve. He's not easy to keep down. But, I, again, everybody's expecting this to probably stay on the feet the whole time. I think Brown has gotten to the point of his career where he's going to be smart enough to mix in some takedowns. And then, again, on the ground, he's capable of finishing fights. I mean, defensively, he's been subbed quite a few times, probably more than we'd like to talk about here as far as defensive ability on the ground. But offensively, he does have that jujitsu that can kind of cause problems for a lot of people as well. So I think Brown, we have a minus 115. The market has minus 110s and minus 115s the other way. So slightly lean towards Matt Brown here. But at this point in their career, it's hard not to say that this is a pickup type of fight because anything can happen here, man. Listen, I just got to give a, a disclaimer here. I'm very biased towards Matt Brown. I'm a Matt Brown fanboy. I have a signed picture of Matt Brown on my wall. You guys understand what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, this is a guy that handed Douglas Lima his first ever loss in Atlanta in someone's basement. This is a guy that handed Stephen Wonderboy Thompson his first ever loss, went on that seven-fight win streak, had the amazing fight of the year with Robbie Lawler, and he's beat some legit guys since then, too. I mean, he finished Tim Means, uh, went out there. Listen, the Diego Lima fight, I kind of think it was a situation where, you know, Diego did take so much damage against Bilal. He didn't come back the same, but Diego was also in there, you know, asking Matt Brown for an autograph and a selfie in the middle of the cage. But still, to see a 41-year-old or a 40-year-old go out there and still have the same power, they say power is the last thing to go. I know Matt Brown can crack. And with Brian Barberena, I'm curious about your opinion on this, man, because it's like, okay, I know that these last three guys he's fought aren't the best compared to the guys he used to fight. I'm talking about Darian Weeks. I'm talking about Jason Witt. I'm talking about Anthony Ivey. So, like, on one hand, should I view it as, like, hey, at least he's, like, having competitive fights with young, hungry guys? Or should I view it as he's having competitive guys with people that are nowhere on his level? Yeah, that's the difficult thing to kind of decipher there. I, I agree with you because the level of competition has been a little bit weaker, and, and you can kind of see that decline a little bit in Barbarina. But he's still tough. He's still, if you look at his last fight against Weeks, I mean, he was still bringing it. He still was in there to win it too. So, you know, even though he's kind of taken a step back, I, I still think he he brings it and he's capable of performing at a decent level. But you're right. I mean, having closer fights with a, a lower level competition kind of is a head scratcher. And on the other end of it, I mean, if you're looking at it, a guy like Matt Brown still has shown some decent things in the octagon. The Despite, you know, his his loss to Beza there, uh, which obviously Beza before his last loss was a rising prospect. A lot of people thought that there's a lot of great things and possibly, obviously, there's still a lot of life left in Beza. So that's not necessarily a bad loss in a spot like that. So I think Brown has left left in the tank to probably win this fight. But again, the durability is the problem I have, though. I mean, we've seen that chin kind of give in a little bit too much now as he's getting a little bit older. And again, although the kind of wear and tear has affected him in his career, Barbarina doesn't have crazy amount of knockout power, but he probably has enough here. So when these guys are exchanging, I think Barbarina is a little bit more durable at this point of his career. I trust that aspect of him, but I think Brown is the better fighter and he's capable of winning his fight. So I hope Brown's chin does hold up here because I think he wins this fight. If so, and the reason I think that Barbarena hasn't come back the same since the Luke fight is this. If you watch that Luke fight, especially the first round, I mean, Barbarena's eating knockout blows flush on his chin and just looking at Luke and smiling. Like, this dude is absolutely ridiculous, and that's what he used to be known for. I mean, you remember when he was the guy that beat Worley Alves when Worley Alves had all the hype in the world? And it's because he was able to yeah. eat those big shots come back in the in the in the later rounds even dropped uh leon edwards who's about to fight for the title so barbarena has done some real things but the reason i don't think he's come back the same is when you're able to eat those 
knockout blows by Vicente, no problem. Like, and guys, he didn't get knocked out until like six seconds left in the fight. He was eating knockout blows all night in that fight, no problem. But now he's starting to get dropped by guys like Jason Witt. And also, to take it a step further, not only getting dropped by Jason Witt, he's not knocking out Jason Witt, which is also a big red flag for me. So I can't be too confident because of the age and where they're both at. And one thing I like about both guys is even though they're, you know, both kind of declining, and that's with all due respect to two guys who've, you know, shed blood, tears, sweat inside that canvas, love them both. Um, but they both still try to do what they used to do. Like they're still trying to, Matt Brown still tries to fight like Matt Brown. It's just a kind of step slower, right? But I'm still going to go with Matt Brown here, guys. Listen, don't, you don't have to tell to. me here. I'm very biased, one of my all-time favorite fighters. But I think he's going to be buoyed by this crowd, and I think he might have something for Barbarena come Saturday night. So Matt Brown is my pick here. Good. Obviously, being an Ohio guy, I'm friends with Matt Brown as well. I'm always going to root for the guy. Hard to pick against him. It's going to be a difficult fight, but I think he's got enough left to win. So go Brown. And also, Matt Brown, most knockouts in welterweight history and most finishes in UFC welterweight history. So the man's got records to his name too, Nick. Overachiever, man. Like I said, this guy, he's, he put in the work. He's just tough as nails. I mean, again, talk about a true fighter. When you, when you think about true fighters, in my opinion, you think the likes of the Diaz brothers. I mean, those guys, you know what I mean? And from top to bottom, they're just built for this sort of thing, right? That's what Matt Brown was. He was built to fight. So much respect to him, man. He's a legend. Absolutely. So co-main event coming up. Everybody do us a huge favor. Hit that like button. Now, co-main event of the evening in the flyweight division. We got Joanne Wood. She's 15 and 7 from Scotland, taking on Mexico's Alexa Grasso, who is 13 and 3. And currently they got it. Alexa Grasso minus 235. The comeback on Joanne Calderwood is plus 200. So listen, Nick, uh, Joanne Calderwood is what I like to refer to as a hot and cold fighter. I mean, from time to time, you're going to see this girl go out there, put up over 100 significant strikes, land front kicks to the face, mix in takedowns, submit people, knock people out. Like sometimes you see a virtuoso in there, and there's a reason they were going to match her up with Valentina. But other times you see her get finished in the first round multiple times and that's not something you often see in the women's weight classes and i'm not just talking about you know against a power hitter like jessica andrage or even tyler santos what about marina morose right it go it, there's a long history of this and alexa grasso she's always had the potential she's got very fast hands she's starting to fall uh, fall in love with her jujitsu too she's uh rounding out her game so we're at the best point we've ever seen for Alexa. And I think she made a great move moving up a weight class. Now she doesn't have to kill herself to make weight and she's performing at her optimal, uh, at, at her optimal self. It's just about does, does Joanne Calderwood have one more of those out? I don't want to call it an outlier performance because that's disrespectful. She is that talented. She is that good. It's just, you know, sometimes the mental isn't quite there on fight night. And is it going to show up a uh, Saturday night in Columbus, Ohio, Nick? I don't know, man. I mean, I think you nailed it. I think Grasso, her improvement overall has been phenomenal, right? And then the question marks with Wood right now in her career. I mean, she's on a two-fight losing skid, lost three out of her last four as well. I mean, knocking on that door of a title shot, taking the Maya fight, and then getting upset and losing that title shot. And then, I don't know, man. Sometimes, like, once you get to that point, and then it kind of derails everything for you. So I think mentally, like you said, everything kind of – comes into play here she's got married of course changed her, her name to wood obviously that's why a lot of people are kind of confused there with the call to wood wood thing um obviously she did recently get married that's why the name changed or whatnot so i think personally she might not be where she once was like you know that fighter that kind of was riding towards that title shop title shot is no longer 
that hunger factor is not there anymore for her, if that makes sense, right? But what the Grasso side of things, man, she's getting better. When she came into the UFC, I thought she was overrated. I mean, she had a lot of holes to fill in her game for sure, but she's put the work in too. Her wrestling's getting better. Takedown defense is getting better. Her jiu-jitsu is getting better. Everything. I mean, she's striking at the best of ever in her career right now. If you look at her striking and the way she's kind of flowing with that, her power, she's just put it together. And you, like you said, the move up to 125, I think was really a smart move because she's not killing herself with the weight cut. It seems like, you know, she's no weakling in this division either. Right. And again, she continues to improve. So I think timing is everything. If you would have looked at this a couple years ago and you would have told me Grasso would be favored like minus 200 over wood, I would have said, you're crazy, man. Not, not, she's not even ready for this, but she is at this point. She deserves to be this favored. I think she's going to win this fight. I just think that the, you know, the best days of wood are definitely behind her at this point. Yeah, I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, I got to have not just the faster hands of Grasso, but the confidence. Confidence is so huge in this game with Joanne questioning things and Alexa, you know, trying to go towards that upward trajectory to that title shot. You got to favor Grasso. But here's my question for you, my man. Minus 235 on Grasso. Is it going to be that kind of performance where, you know, that breakthrough performance where it's like, oh, this is some. This is a force to be reckoned with in the in the division, or is it going to be a close split decision type of fight where we should sit, where we should, you know, maybe sit out? <laughs> you know, it's going to be a close split decision type of fight. It always is in a high level ladies fight. It seems <laughs> like, right? Uh, so yeah, that's the tricky part. Again, betting numbers where the line is is where it's at. If, if we're talking about a pure pick coin flip, it's so easy to pick grass on this spot now. But if you're laying, like you said, minus two thirty five or so, I think if you could get under minus two hundred you take it. There's no question about it. I know that's kind of steep as well because you're talking about a split decision type of fight, but that being said, I think she does get the nod on the scorecard. So minus 200 under, you bet Grasso. If it's over minus 200, I think you probably stay away from it at this point, and it is over minus 200. So I do expect this to be 29-28. Look, the state of MMA judging is awful. We've known that for a long time now. It's no secret, right? They don't even know how to score fights, man. and, and They really don't. It's, it's just all over the place uh, in most cases, which is very frustrating. Again, I understand they have their criteria and they're trying to stick with a certain criteria, but it just seems like all of them are not on the same page, you know, when, when it comes to the judging. So you got to factor that in as well. It's going to be competitive fight. We know that. So you got to be concerned a little bit with the scorecards, but that being said, that's why I think minus under 200 uh, is still a play for Grasso because I think she has gotten to the point where it should be clear enough for her to win at least two out of three rounds in this spot. You saw that 30-27 Corey McKenna scorecard last week? Holy cow, man. Yeah, it's just – it's ridiculous, man. We see – like, it never fails, right? Every week there's something that we're scratching our head about. But on the flip side, Nick, and here's where, you know, I have my questions, is that we've seen people go out there and look minus 400 against Joanne, whether it was Tyler Santos. And, guys, we can sit here and say Tyler's about to fight for the title. Yeah, but Tyler, uh, Tyler wasn't out here finishing anybody out, in the, finishing anyone else out in the first round, dropping them twice, submitting them. Um, we've seen multiple people finish Joanne. So it's like if Joanne, you know, has checked out, then there might be a chance that Alexa covers her price tag. Yeah, no doubt. I think it's very possible. So we'll see. But again, I, I'm just concerned, I guess, about the judging. And, and these two ladies are definitely high level, so should be somewhat competitive back and forth. But I do think that it could possibly end up looking like that as well. Just a clear uh, unanimous decision went for grass. So especially with the way she's improving, man, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, look, the history of the judging score, uh, scares me as well, Nick. So no, no debate on my part there. So main event of the evening in the heavyweight division we got curtis blades he's 15 and 3 taking out chris dacus who is 12 and 4 and currently they got it curtis blades minus 410 the comeback on chris dacus is plus 310 so I, this one's cut and dry for me man because look there's a lot of questions but 
if Curtis Blades decides that, listen, I'm on a win streak, like let's go out here, test my stand-up against Chris Dacus, well, then it's not going to be a minus 410 type spot. And you saw that Derek Lewis fight uh, he had. not. And let's not even talk about the fact that Blades got knocked out in that fight. Let's talk about the fact that he landed zero takedowns in that fight. That's that. That's what I want to talk about. If he comes out here, wants to stand and bang with Chris Dawkins, who has a reputation for having some of the fastest hands in the heavyweight division, well, that's Dawkins' path to victory. Now, where the questions lie, Nick, is I don't know shit about Dawkins' takedown defense in 2022. I know a few years back he wasn't stuffing takedowns and he was getting you know beaten up on the ground, but a lot of people have failed to mention a key detail. Uh, Chris Dawkins is a guy that completely changed himself around. I believe he lost 30 to 40 pounds. Um, and from going to a guy that was losing to, you know, people that Juan Adams was beating to now he's top 10 in the UFC heavyweight division. Like that's a career turnaround. So I just can't watch fights from 2014, 2015 and use them as evidence. He's going to lose this fight. But what I can say is I haven't seen anything takedown defense, get up game wise, like, it's such an unknown for me. So I have to favor blades for that reason, man. I mean, and one thing I've been talking about for a long time on the show and especially lately, Nick, is that these guys that can attempt takedown after takedown after takedown without getting discouraged. Those guys are such a matchup problem. Like you put into perspective, um, Curtis Blades, he attempted 25 takedowns against Volkov. He landed 14 successfully. You look at these guys coming up, the Bryce Mitchells, the Marab Devalishvili's, the Bilal Muhammad's, the Nick Maximovs even, and then on a higher level, you know, Khabib and Islam, right? Like these guys that because there's certain people like and not to throw any shade by any by any means, just trying to point out an example. Like you watch Cody Brundage's fight on contender series versus William Knight. First takedown didn't work. Oh, all right. Let's go home. Whereas these other guys, the ones I, I mentioned, the first few takedowns get stuffed. They're not discouraged at all, and they'll keep pushing that pace over and over and over. And those guys are making money, and that's an angle I'm riding to the bank all of 2022. It's just now we're dealing with a minus 410, so there might not be too much value here. But when there is value, I love betting on those guys. So give me your take on this. Doc is isn't ready for this, man. I, I mean, he, he does have a shot at the knockout, of course, because Blades – defensively on the feet you know obviously that's kind of his kryptonite for sure I mean, sometimes fight IQ I mean that shot attempt on Lewis holy cow I mean everybody saw that coming and the timing of that uppercut was just fantastic from Lewis that was a phenomenal you know knockout of course but that being said I mean you're talking about two different levels here Dacus I don't think that he's I mean he's improved because I think you know his brother you got to credit this you're right iron sharpens iron type of scenario his brothers found a lot of success in the ufc as well they're training hard they're taking it serious and you're right man a lot of people probably aren't giving uh chris Dawkins a lot of credit here with the improvements that he's made because he's he's definitely got himself in much better shape he's faster he's stronger he's better than he's ever been if you look at him pre-ufc till now there's no question about that but that being said can you improve to the level of stuffing i mean blades is one of the best wrestlers we've ever seen in the heavyweight division can you stuff those takedowns and once you're on your back I mean, Blades had some nasty ground and pound. He's capable of finishing this fight on the floor. So I think Blades is going to look to take this fight to the floor, do what he does best, and not mess around here. So if he wants to stand in trade with Dacus, then that's not very smart. And Dacus definitely has a shot on the feet. There's no question about that. But I don't think Dacus is going to get as much time on the feet. He's going to have to catch it pretty quick if he's going to win this fight. If you're betting Dacus, do not bet Dacus 
straight up bet him by knockout. I mean, there's no other way to bet this, right? Because even by submission, I don't think Dawkins is going to jump on a sub after he rocks him or something like that, right? Just bet him by knockout. I mean, that's where you're going to get the ultimate value because if he wins this fight, he's going to win that way. If you're you're going to bet Blades, though, I think that's the same way to bet him. I don't think this fight, I think you mentioned it earlier in the broadcast, right? I don't think this fight does hit the scorecards. So if you're going to bet Blades, I think it's by knockout as well. And he's probably going to do it on the ground, right? By ground and pound stoppage. So I think that's the way to kind of look at this fight and, and try to find an angle because you cannot lay Blades at around minus 400 and by the way the market is i'm looking over here at the don best screen that's why i keep kind of looking over to my left here uh and we have it right now at circa minus 385 but there is market numbers minus 400s and as soon as i get off this show we're probably i'm going to call in and probably have this line bumped a little bit more as well because we are going to continue to see parlay action come in so i don't want to get lopsided too much on the blade side of things because i do think this is just too much too soon for docus we've seen it kind of last time out again this is a different type of stylistic fight because he's not facing a guy like he was against Lewis, that's going to you know come in here and try to take his head off. He's facing a different type of fighter in Blades. But that being said, still, there's levels to this game. Blades is on that higher level. Dawkins is not. And let me say uh, one way that Blades could have success on the feet here. Um, oftentimes, you can get your opponent so worried about the takedown that their hands start to drop. They start to forget that there's power coming on the side. Like you see the fight between Blades and Junior Cigano Dos Santos. Now, guys, I understand, you know, Cigano, legend of the sport, seen better days. Okay, we can say all that. But the reason that Blades was able to knock him out standing was because the fear of the takedown was so evident that he wasn't even thinking about the shots coming up top. So maybe there is a path for a Blades knockout. Now, this is my. there's a comment here that I wanted to bring up. Um, and... It might not certainly pertain to this matchup per se because he's responding to you saying that, look, if you're going to take Doc, it's taking my knockout and I feel you. And he wants me to bring up the Nganu example. So I bet Nganu at plus 130 against Cyril Gan, And everybody gave me so much shit like, dude, why the fuck would you bet Nganu at plus 130 when you can just take the KO prop? Nick, do you know how pissed off I would have been if I took <laughs> the Nganu by KO prop instead of the money line? But this is a completely different matchup and the odds are significantly yeah, yeah, yeah. different too. But you're right about the Blades thing. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he catches. You know, like I just don't think that that's what you want to do here, right? Why even risk it? But Blades has enough power on the feet that he could land on Dacus. I'm not sold on Dacus's defense on the feet either or his durability on the feet totally yet either. So, right? So I wouldn't be surprised even if this does stay upright if Blades possibly catches Dacus and knocks him on the feet. I just think, why would you do that? Why would you risk that? You know, that's the only way you probably lose this fight is if you stand and trade on the feet here. So even though you can't have a little bit of success – take the fight to the floor and do what you do best. I don't know. But you say why I risk it is fight with Jerzino. He didn't shoot as quickly as I wanted him to. (laughs) He gave a lot of people a scare standing and begging with Jerzino. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. No doubt, man. I mean, that's, that's for sure. Those are not the type of fighters. Yeah. You want to spend too much time on the feet. Like we said with, so yeah, you never know, man, but I, I do think he's, I mean, again, you got to try to implement that game plan. It's easier said than done to kind of close that gap and get in there and shoot without, you know, kind of tipping your hat, right? I mean, that's again, we just said it earlier. That's what he did against Lewis and made that mistake, right? He showed that takedown so clear that Lewis was able to catch him. So I understand it's not as easy as we think to come in here, even if you're a high caliber wrestler, to come in and get the fight to the ground. You got to be smart about it for sure. But I think he will get it done. Absolutely. So before uh, we get out of here, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. But first, I got to give a big shout out to our sponsor, Prize Picks. Guys, I truly believe that Prize Picks is the easiest and simplest way to make money on daily fantasy sports. You can combine sports, and it's not like you got to put together a six, you know, team lineup. You can go two two people from different sports, same sport, all the way up to five. 
doesn't matter. And there's so many spots you take advantage of. It's not you versus thousands of stat nerds. It's basically you versus prize picks projection. So oftentimes they set the over-unders on significant strikes for grapplers way too high. So you look at like a Ramiz Brahimai against Gilmore a couple weeks back. Uh, the over-under on significant strikes, Nick was 34. Ramiz literally didn't land a single strike. He just took him down right away and choked him out. So if the over-under on the uh, Hizriev significant strikes is too high, smash it because he might just come out here, take him down right away, not land a single punch and choke him out. So spots like that, if the over-under on significant strikes for Sarah McMahon is too high, take advantage. So guys, use my code BATTLE for an 100% deposit match up to $100 at Price Picks. Download the app. Highly recommend it easiest and simplest way to make money on daily fantasy sports that's prize picks use my code battle now nick let's talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch so in your opinion nick Kalikas, what is the fight to watch for ufc columbus all right let me scroll through this card real quick i mean like i said i think from top to bottom ufc fight night columbus is a pretty good card we're gonna see a lot of good fights but the fight to watch overall i would think Let's go with Ascroft and Cara France because I think it is kind of, like you said, a title eliminator type of fight. It's an important fight in the flyweight division. Hard to pick this, you know, to pick a fight out of this because there's so many good fights, but I'll, I'll go with Ascroft and Cara France. Great flyweight fight, title implications. For me, I'm also going to go with a flyweight fight between David Dvorak and Mateus Nicolaus. Nicolaus is a guy I've had such high expectations for, such high hopes. He's as good as anybody in the division. And this kid, David Dvorak, has taken the division by storm. And he's fighting with the pride of the Czech Republic. I mean, I believe only him and Jiri Prohaska are the only Czech fighters currently in the UFC. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. I know our girl, Lucy Pudilova, is currently is no longer on the roster. So if those are the only two Czech fighters, I know he's coming in here hungry. And he's got something to prove, man. This is a big step up in competition against Nicolau. He's never fought anybody like him before. And Nicolau wants to get on a three-fight uh, winning streak and show that, hey, man, I'm the guy that needs to be fighting for the title. So Dvorak versus Nicolau is my fight to watch and take away all the politics and all the titles talk. This is just going to be a great fight, man, between two high-level flyweight fighters. So make sure y'all tune in for Dvorak versus Nicolau. Now, Nick, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Columbus? Uh, let's go with Hizriov, honestly. I, I just think Hizriov is is probably going to go out here and look really dominant in his win. Um, so, again, I know it's an inflated line at this point. He's minus 800. But, again, you got to respect that. He's 800 for a reason. So I think he's an interesting prospect to watch at 185 pounds. So I'll go with Hizriov. And I'm going to go with Matthew Immortal Brown. Look, it's his homecoming here in Ohio. You know what happens when Matt Brown fights in Ohio. It's going to be absolutely electric with fans in attendance. We're not at the apex anymore. And he's got a willing dance partner in Brian Barbarena. Brian ain't about to hug anybody's leg. Brian ain't about to make the crowd boo. Brian Barbarena is going to go in there and give Matt Brown exactly the fight he wants. And this is not fight of the night. If it's not fight of the year, I think it's going to be performance of the night. So, Look out for Matt Brown. Uh, he is my fighter to watch in his homecoming here in Ohio. Love it. Well, Nick, we did it. It's going down this Saturday night live in Columbus, Ohio. Curtis Blades versus Chris Dacus. Nick, I truly appreciate you taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. They can follow you at Fight Odds. Uh, any message for the fans before we get out of here? No, long overdue. Thank you for having me on. And uh, all you guys that are watching the show, I appreciate you guys as well. Thanks for tuning in. And make sure you catch UFC Fight Pass for UFC on the line with Yanni the Greek, myself, and Brendan Fitzgerald. We got a lot of great things coming up in 2022, so make sure to tune in to UFC Fight Pass. Absolutely. And if you guys are ever in Vegas, hit, hit my boy up at Circus Sports.
That's right. Yep. Come to Circa. It is the best place to bet MMA in Las Vegas. So make sure you check it out. The world's largest sports book. Such an awesome place. Awesome venue to watch fights too. I will definitely hit you up when I make my way back there to the desert. And everybody watching, follow me at Best Fight Picks. Follow Nick at Fight Odds. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify. All the places we are available. I'll be back next week. I know there's no fight card, but it's okay. We're gonna we're still going to give you all something. And uh, very grateful that Nick was here. Everybody smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Comment on the video, share, retweet, all those little things you guys do help grow the channel. And it's so much very appreciated. So thank you all so much. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.